What is good, everyone? It's your host, Jonathan Watts. And on today's show, we're going to recap the best moments from the podcast so far. We got Ben Artiano talking about his purpose and why and what drives him each and every day. We got Kip Ione discussing how he separates being a coach and being a dad. We've got NFL Bills punter, rookie punter, Matt Ariza, who discusses how some of his biggest failures motivated his biggest successes. And lastly, we got Tyler Clark talking about how he approaches basketball and player development and how he uses creativity and competition to get the most out of his players. Hope you guys enjoy. I want to talk about kind of what's what's next for you. What what do you see um, yourself doing, or or what are the future plans? I know you don't like getting too far out in the future, um, but maybe what is the next step, or maybe what ultimately is the end goal for you? Yeah, no, it's a great question because I will tell you that, like you said, you know, I now I'm at the at the time where I I should probably say yeah, I do have a five year, ten year. Goal, but it's hard because I don't know if I'm going to have one kid. I don't know if I'm going to have two kids. I don't know when they're going to come. Um, but I'll tell you that I found my passion. Um, and my passion is helping people, helping people in any shape or form. Um, that was the happiest I ever was, was when I was coaching and hardly making any money because I couldn't focus on my real estate career. That was the happiest I've ever been. Um, and it actually made me re- rethink my my career as a real estate agent um, into working for a company that helps real estate agents uh, because I would actually rather help a young agent make a living, put food on the, the table for their family as opposed to me going out and helping someone find a home yeah. or sell their home. Um, so... I don't know if it's if my you know career is going to take me to just with real estate. Um, it could be anything. I just I know that my purpose is to help others, and it could be anything. I I am truly open to anything. Whether it's you know my my end goal is to open a nonprofit and something I'm very passionate about, and obviously I know there's a, there's a lot of you know different uh, loose ends there, but and I don't have the resources right now. Um, but that would, you know, ultimately be my end goal is just me giving back. Um, and I, I mean, I, I can say firsthand that if you set out to chase money, you're never going to be happy. Um, and you know, it's that again, another cliche saying, uh, saying, cliche saying, uh, you know, if you find something you love, you never work a day in your life. It's, it really is true. Um, you know, I, I had a, a, a job that was the most money I've ever made and it was the unhappiest I've ever been. Um, you know, I've had jobs where, uh, was barely making anything, but I loved what I was doing. Um, so it's just finding that mix because obviously, you know, I am going to have a family and I need to be able to support them, but, you know, being able to in any shape or form, help people, um, in any facet of life, whether it's on the basketball court. And obviously, as you know about me, uh, it was 
less about coaching as it was about building relationships and and instilling confidence because I never wanted anyone to not have the confidence in themselves, which I experienced. Um, but it's I know wherever my life takes me, it's going to be in some sort of form where either I'm working for a company or I'm doing something on my own that is helping others achieve something. So that's kind of, you know, you, you, as you mentioned, my, um, you know, helping teams and, and people perform their goals and, you know, this idea of customer success, which is the actual uh, field I'm in now, the, the, when you look up what is customer success and they say it's helping people find their desired outcomes or helping people get to their desired outcomes. I don't think that's true. I think it is actually, and I was told this by um, a, a very smart uh, person, a mentor of mine, um, that it's not helping people get to their desired outcomes. It's helping them get to outcomes they never even thought were possible. And so I keep that in mind in my daily uh, daily work and things that I do, because sometimes you can't even, when, when you're working or talking to people, they think of these goals uh, and things that they, they want to do. And they don't realize like you could do more. Yeah. So, you know, getting them past that outcome that they, that they had set and just achieving, you know, twice as much, three times as much. So Jonathan, I, I wish I knew where I, where I would be in five years, 10 years, what, you know, where I'd be working, but it's, it's going to be helping people in some uh, shape or form because that's what makes me happy. Yeah. And I, I mean, you know, you know your purpose and your why and what you want to do. And that's more valuable than anything in, in the world. Cause that's going to guide, guide your actions. And I, I can attest being a coach myself right now, also still a player, but coaching athletes, coaching teams, do I do a lot more individual skill work with kids, but uh, it's, it, I'm not making a, a, a shit ton of money, but it, it's, it's enjoyable. And I love to do it. And you get to build those relationships and you get to play basketball every single day. You get to be on the court. You get to be with kids who bring joy and smile and laughter. Um, and, and I can attest to, to why you enjoyed it so much. But when you know your purpose and passion, why ultimately yours is to help others, um, that, that's, that's the most important thing you can have in your life. Next, we got Kip Ione discussing how he separates his role of being a father from being a coach. So I want to move on a little bit and talk about kind of all your roles, all the hats you wear, um, specifically uh, separating coach from from dad, from parent, from husband. I'm thinking of you have a bad weekend, we play bad, you're mad, you're stressed, and you got to go home that night and, and you got to be the best parent, the best dad you can be. Uh, for Xavier Lincoln, um, how do you separate that has that was that a struggle early in your coaching years after either a tough loss or just a bad practice um and how have you grown in that aspect from separating being a coach and, and being a father and dad uh i think it was really a hard struggle you know like i mentioned before i got this at 29 and when you're 29 you think you know everything and you realize you don't know shit um it, it is a big difference sliding six inches to the left to the big chair right you, when you're the assistant you, your brain can can focus on one single thing and then you're like, I knew that the whole time. Well, yeah, his th his brain had 45 things going on. Uh, so, I, yeah, I don't know if there's ever a true balance in season especially 
but I think I've been able to create patterns that match more of the family's flow. In the beginning, I was like, nope, this has to be done. Basketball is first. Kip's career is first. I will try to get all this done, but I'm going to put it first every day. And then if I have time at the end, I recognize I need to give that time to my wife or my kids. Now I try to build in, like, especially for us, Fridays and Saturdays, right, conference play. Sundays can't start with me going right back to work. Sundays have to be like, hey, babe, how about I start Sunday video prep, video breakdowns for Saturday and Monday's practice? How about I started at three? How about I started at four? You know, we try to find out that time during the season that typically will work. Um, so that's been better because before it would have been like, no, I'm up. I got home at two um, and now I'm going to be gone again at eight. See you later. And it also, it had to, I'm lucky I came to the realization I'm the fucking head coach. I can set the times, right? I know assistants don't have this luxury, right? I can set the times when I expect Chris and Cam and Mac to meet me back at the office. Um, so I think there's some of that. Can I pattern match to what the family needs first? But that doesn't mean I'm putting it, I'm not doing it that day. I'm not doing basketball that day. It just doesn't, it doesn't get to be first on Sundays. Um, and then trying to be really cognizant with the process I create for the team and the staff, making sure my wife's in the loop of what that process is, not saying every day a new thing. Like, hey, you know, oh no, today I got this. It's at a totally different time. Oh no, today we're gonna do that same thing I did yesterday at eight, we're gonna do that today at 12. You know, I try to create a process that has some flexibility, but really is repeatable in families, not just mine, Max family, Cam's kids, they can all get on the same kind of rhythm and flow. Uh, and that's a little bit, I think that's alleviated some of it. Now the dad hat, Sometimes I think coach voice comes home with me and I'm used to talking to you guys in a certain way with a certain tone um, and that don't work here or vice versa. You know, sometimes it does. There's good crossover and parallels between what I talk to you about and what I get to talk to Lincoln about. But other times it, it, it's not apples to apples. Um, so I think I've had to, to try to figure out, feel my mood as I'm driving home. You know, so honestly, I sometimes, depending on the situation, bad practice, good practice, win, loss, the drive home, what's on the my um, on my phone, whether it's a podcast versus music versus nothing, is really to decompress or, you know, like shift. And I didn't really recognize that the last couple of years, but I definitely do it. Like if we lose, I'm, I might go music because I need to get out. If I went into another deep podcast, my brain would keep rolling and I'd be in a certain mood when I got home. Um, so that I still mess up, right? I still lash out or have something that I know is entirely rooted in what happened at Willamette. Uh, but like I tried to model for you guys this year, I also have stuff that I'll carry from home to you guys. And I could have a practice where I'm pissed off or a missed layup that yesterday I laughed about. And today I'm pissed about, but that's because something that happened with my kids. So I think there's a lot of self-reflection. You got to give yourself some grace, but you also have to, you have to ask yourself to grow in how you do things, right? I, I think, I don't think you want to get caught apologizing to both sides over and over and over without trying to change and, and be better. Next, Matt Arisa talks about what fueled him throughout his career and how he turned one of his biggest struggles and failures into his biggest success. Another thing you kind of mentioned or I've read about was kind of making punting fun again. I mean, people mm -hmm. kind of have this perception that, or I remember you mentioned, like, when people come on fourth down, like, they turn the TV off or they don't look. You're, you wanted to make it where, oh, Matt's coming out to punt. we got to watch this. He's going to do something yeah. special. 
Um, did that, did that kind of, or did you want to create that perception of yourself or just punters in general, just because of what people thought of them? Or was that just kind of out of the blue? Um, I mean, as a specialist growing up, like you are a little always made fun of for being the kicker. It's kind of that position that everyone likes to take jabs at. Um, there'll be moments in my life I'll never forget. I remember when I got pulled up to varsity as a sophomore. And I remember some someone that was in our grade, I forgot who it was, but I remember him telling me like, yeah, bro, you're only on varsity because you're the kicker. Like that's super lame or something like that. And then I remember moving into my dorms freshman year and a girl on the volleyball team was moving in next to me and her family was there and like, oh, you, like, what, what do you play? And I'm like, I play football. What position do you play? I'm, I'm the kicker. And uh, she goes, oh, you have the easy job. That's nice. Something like that. Like there's been little jabs my whole life. And yeah. so that kind of formed my conception of how people see uh, punting and kicking. And so it was so fun to see that flip and uh, to see people see it as cool and exciting and fun to watch um i think that's very rare there's not many specialists who have ever done it um i'll it, say it's a small handful so it was an honor and it was cool and it was it was just something that um as it started to happen it made me want it more i didn't know it was really yeah. possible i didn't think it was ever possible um that i, I saw one of the craziest moments for me was when uh when high school i'm sure you, you uh, remember this and you've seen this a lot when high school kids get offers from team they like to post it on twitter usually with a couple of pictures of the school and like a player and we offered a d lineman and in his post you know thank you san diego state coaches thank you for the offer his his post was of me and to me that blew my mind when i was like to some high school kids the kicker is the face of san diego state that is the yeah. wildest thing ever and so that that was a pretty special moment right there. Yeah, that's dope right there. That's sick. Um, now, I want to – this reminded me of something, kind of the little jabs you mentioned from people about being a punter and kicker. You were the – obviously, going into the draft, people expected you to be the first punter slash kicker off the board. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. I don't remember how they categorized that. Yeah. Um, but from what I remember, I think two people went before you. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't remember their names exactly. But how how did you deal with that? And did that provide a little bit of extra motivation going into this year on maybe teams that passed up on you and trying mm-hmm. to prove them wrong going into the league? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. There's there's a handful of names that I that I keep in my mind that uh, when the success comes, what they have said to me and their actions will make it so much better. Um, I'm someone that takes everything personally. And I get very motivated by things like that. Part of what drove me uh, so hard in punting my senior year was being benched my junior year. Um, the story that most people don't know is, so I, I kicked after my redshirt freshman year, after my true freshman year. So my second year in college, once my eligibility started, uh, kicked for one year, two years, and then the third year, um, I was given the punting job as well. Won it in summer, even though we brought in a transfer from USD. Beat him out over camp. First game, go out there. And I had statistically a good game, but not the best game uh, actually like watching it, analyzing it. And I had it taken from me. And that was kind of the first time in my life I'd really been benched like that. And so that that's bothered me. It pretty much ruined my year of field goals that year. I was terrible. Mm-hmm. It was the worst sports year of my career, even from when I was a kid. And that just totally lit the fire in me for the off season. And, and that's kind of where 
I think in a lot of the clips, you could see my passion um, for the game when I'm running downfield, trying to hit people. It's, it's, you know, because I had it taken from me. And I think that same passion is going to come out um, this next season because, yeah, I watched two guys get drafted, three guys if you include a kicker, um, yeah. significantly before me. And so, yeah, no, that, that was something that I'll, I'll remember for a long time. And lastly, we got performance and skills basketball trainer, Tyler Clark, who talks about how two of his five pillars, creativity and competition, play a major role in his players' development. With that said, I want to dive into kind of your training and, and how you approach player development. Um, and you have five pillars that, that, that are the base um, of your training. And, and the five are creativity, making it fun, having competition, keeping each other accountable, and building a strong culture. I want to key in on two of those, and, and that's creativity and, and competition. And I think with training um, and, and sports in general, competition is essential. I mean, it's, it's why we play the sport, to compete. And, and I've had the honor and pleasure of being around high-level athletes. And, and the one thing that is there with high-level athletes is they make everything a competition. Like if it's a shooting drill, they're going to compete. If we're playing live, they're going to compete. And, and I think the high-level athletes, like, they get pissed when they lose. Like they're, they're out there just to compete. So I want you to dive in a little bit on, on those two things, competition and creativity and how those play a big role in, in your training and player development. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll, I'll start with creativity because I'm pretty passionate about that one and I think it's super important that I don't think is as um, utilized in a lot of, <clears throat> excuse me, a lot of training sessions. Um, so creativity to me is, you know, there, there's there's a quote from Kobe. It's creativity is intelligence having fun. And mm -hmm. I think whenever we take away creativity, especially from youth athletes, because I like whenever you're a college level, professional level, some high schoolers, probably probably not high school, but college and pros, you know, th those guys and girls are pretty set on what they are. Like they're, if they're creative, they're creative. You can introduce more creativity, but I more so for the youth athletes. If you don't allow them to be creative, it's not only affecting their play style, but it's affecting them as human beings too. Because whenever you're in a training session with them and you allow them to be a little crazy, do some weird stuff on the court that you wouldn't see in a game, but just allow them, like for a warm up, for example, if I just say, you know, follow the leader, somebody does a crazy spin between the legs, they try to get, get a reverse layup in, that's creative, right? Now they, they have to figure out what they just did in front of them and then try to mimic it. It's it's fun and it's creative and yep. that allows them to try to do that off the court. You know what I mean? So it's like if they did that in this one training session, maybe at the lunch table, they're a little bit more goofy. They can be, they can step into who they are as a person, if that makes any sense. So I think the creativity from a human aspect is super important because a lot of the times we have so much structure in training sessions that it's like, all right, we have structure in our training session. We have structure at home. We have structure at, at the school. We have structure even with our friends at their house. So I was like, when can I be fun? When can I be creative? When can yep. I just like be my own outlandish self? If that's who you are, you know what I mean? So, and if it's not who you are, you're just naturally kind of a structured person. That's fine. But I, I like to give whoever I work with the opportunity to be creative and to have fun, which obviously fun is one of my pillars as well. But creativity in that aspect is super important for me on the human level. Um, in in uh, the actual training session, like relative to basketball, 
<clears throat> I also think it's very important because we're all abstract artists on the court, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And, you know, basketball is a reactionary sport and it's like instinctual, not, not even necessarily reaction. Like it's instinctual, like it's, it's second nature. So <clears throat> if someone cuts you off going right, you naturally have to go left. You have to be creative. You know what I mean? Like there's so many situations within the game that are never going to be replicated ever again. So if you're creative in a training session that prepares you better for an on like an actual situation within the game. So I think, you know, giving them a creative drill where it's like, all right, you have, uh, say, say, a a, uh, a layup drill. You have, you have one dribble. You're going to try to touch the net with the ball. I'm going to go left or right. However you finish doesn't matter. Like if they want to spin into that, if they want to add their their own flavor to that, that's that's cool. That's when you can get creative. Even in an actual small side of game or like a, a, a more, you know, complex drill, you can still be creative in that point. It's just now let's put the reps in so you it doesn't look crazy. You know what I mean? So so you don't turn the ball over. But whenever you allow that kind of creativity and you allow that in your like you create the culture within your system and you will you allow them to just be creative, be themselves and just have fun. It, it makes the environment a lot better and it makes them a lot more confident. That's something that I've definitely seen because the creativity, if, if, if I ask my athletes, one, one thing that they, they say a lot is they, they like the creative aspect of things. They like that it's adaptive to what they're doing. Um, but it gives them confidence because it's like, if I can just be creative in this session, like I've already tried this, so I can try something crazy in the game instinctually because I've already done this in the training session. Um, so that's kind of my spiel on, on creativity. And then as far as competition goes, like you said, <clears throat> athletes compete. So if, whether it's, you know, who can get to the water first after a drill is over, you know what I mean? Like they're always competing, but competition specific to, you know, live stuff in training sessions. Um, a, a lot of times you see blocked practice, which is basically just practicing on air, um, trying to do the same thing over and over and over, which in my opinion, I do do it. But I do think competition drives a lot more transfer. So what I love about competition is, and I kind of mentioned it before, a small side of games, say like a two-on-two -two situation, one-on-two, three-on-three, different situations like that. It's <clears throat> You're competing in those situations. And what that does is it provides context to the actual game of basketball. And now... You're referencing like your, your brain is able to reference what happened in this training session when you were competing the same things were firing your brain the the, the dopamine releases all all the hormones released you know what i mean you're able to apply that to the actual court so you've already seen a one-on-two transition you've already seen a pick and roll i'm coming off now i have to keep the defender behind me keep him in jail and then f go find open space because i've we've put you in these positions and you're competing and then also the competition, you get way more intent. So if, if you're competing, if it's three people and you're competing to a game of five, everybody has four. It's like the intensity is going to be crazy without me even having to say anything. It's just all implicit. It, I don't have to stop and say, guys, like we have to pick up the pace. Like we have to make it a game rep, quote unquote. Yep. The competition already breeds that intent, breeds that intensity. So I think competition is paramount within your training sessions and within whatever environment you're at, whatever, you know, college program, your own gym. Um, if you're not competing, I don't think you're really optimizing the results that you could be getting. There, there's some stuff left on the floor. Um, so I think competition is massive and, and I think creativity is also massive. 
Thanks again, everyone, for listening and tuning in. If you got some value from this recap, please leave us a rating below and visit chasegreatness.net to tell us your story today. One, two, three.